It says, Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now most times that people find indifferences between one group or another, they'd immediately look to what are the differences between the groups and blame it on the differences. And that's what's happening here. We see it today. We see it back then. It's just the way the people go. Well, obviously, you like the Hebrews better than you do the Greeks, so that's why they're getting more money. That's why they're getting more food. That's why they're getting a greater amount of the distribution. And so uh, the 12 are called in to take care of this, and the 12 summon the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, where we talked about him before in the book of Revelation, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles and whom they had prayed. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Priests meaning those that were of the uh, Jewish order. So we see the number of disciples multiplying. Whenever you get a multiplying number of people, you also have a multiplying number of problems. And so they decided the best way to do this was to divide the problems amongst the people. So, so, so too were the problems. They were multiplying. Problems with that brings distractions. So the solution was presented to have the others, have people from among them handle it. When they say this phrase, leave the word of God to serve tables, they are not saying that what they are calling these guys to do is not of great value. It was of great value because it was causing a problem in the church. But it was not to the best interest of the church for them to stop what they were doing in order to handle this problem. If they did, they would cause other problems. And so this is what they had done. Isn't that the way that it is, though, in life? How many times that these smaller problems call our attention to them? And because our attention is on them, we lose sight of the bigger problems. We we lose sight of the bigger things. So he says, we're not going to leave the word of God to serve tables. So serving the tables is not a small matter or would not have required the caliber of people that they were asking for. They were asking for people full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. They wanted, they wanted people of, of uh, good character to be able to do this. So what was the issue? Well, that, well the, uh, the issue was to leave the focus of their calling to focus on another matter that could be handled by others. And that's the thing. A lot of times we are handling issues that others should be handling. If others handled them, they would grow, but instead we're handling them. And not only are we not growing, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Case in point with this was, uh, of course, Moses. Moses was over all the people. And every morning he would get up and all the people would line up in front of him and he would counsel them. He would give them uh, judgment on their cases and so forth. And uh, he'd spend all day there from morning until night. And uh, that went, continued on until Jethro came in and he took a look at this and he said, this isn't good. You're going to wear the people out. You're going to wear yourself out. You can't keep going on this way. And he uh, gave him counsel on how he should, should do that. Because the only one who was being developed here would be Moses. But Moses wasn't being developed by this. He was being held back. And so by him bringing some other people in, they were able to be developed. And Moses was able to go on and do what he needed to do, which was to get before the face of God, to hear the, the word of God. 
to intercede for the people and so forth. All are called together for this as it is not that these others could not handle it, but many look to the most visible ones. So he pulls everybody together for this thing. He calls all the disciples, all the multiplying disciples to come together. It's not because we need what uh, their opinion on what to do. It's that we need everybody in on this because it is customary for the multitudes that are going to come to the most visible, which are the 12 disciples. We see them all the time. We see them in church. We hear them all the time. We're going to come to them. And that's what they tend to do. But they said, no, this isn't good. We can't do it this way. We're going to bring up some other people. And they said, you guys decide who they are. They weren't going to pick them. They said, you guys decide from among you. You pick seven guys. And then we will put them into that position. And so that's what they did. Now, we have the same thing here today that most people try and find the most visible, but that's not always the most, the, the greatest one to work out the situations that you have. And uh, churches won't grow that way. No, we do that a lot around here. There's a lot of other people who, who make phone calls. There's a lot of other people who make visits. There's a lot of other people who do praying over people because it's, it helps the body if everybody gets involved in growing and not just the, the few that are visible. Seek out from among you. First off, they wanted people of good reputation. In other words, they had a history. They had a history of doing things solidly, faithfully. They were full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. In Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in, in the grave where you are going. In other words, get it done here. If you don't get it done here, there's not going to be anything for you to do over there. You need to establish your, your pattern of faithfulness here. So these seven had a pattern of faithfulness. We all have a pattern that we have established. And, and just think about this in your own life. If you have a car, if you have an old car, how many have had an old car in the past and the old car was, uh, all kinds of stuff was in it? Uh, you know, uh, leftover food containers and uh, cans of soda and crumbs and wrinkled up pieces of paper and so forth. And they, we always would say, well, when I get a new car, I'm not going to do that. I get a new car, I'm going to, and we say what we're going to do, we're going to keep it clean, we're going to wash it, we're going to wax it, we're going to vacuum it, we're going to do all these different things. And then a new car comes in, and after a week, it looks pretty much like the old car did on the inside. Because we established a pattern. And patterns are hard to break. They can be broken, but they are hard to break. We need to establish some good patterns. If you want to have a good pattern with your new car, Take care of your old car like you will your new car. When your new car gets here, you'll treat it the way that you should. Same thing with your house or your apartment. Treat the new one the way you or treat the old one the way you are going to plan on treating the new one. And you will find that when you get to the new one, that's how it will be. Whatever it is that we handle, whatever it is that God has given us, how the faithfulness that we handle it with is the faithfulness that we will handle the next thing with. Which is why God says establish yourself as faithful with what you have and then more will be given because he understands patterns. We have patterns of things. Um, there's, there's habits that we get into. If you are in a habit of exercising every day, it's easier every day to exercise. If you are in a habit of not exercising every day, then it's harder to get in, to get in there and to do that. It's, there's patterns. There's habits that we get into. If we, what, is it, what do they say? It takes about three, three to four weeks to establish a new pattern. And that first three or four weeks, you know, that's pretty tough because you're, you're fighting the old, the old tendency. You're fighting the way that it had gone before. 
and uh, uh, I, I don't, I've never changed my hairstyle all that often. The last time I changed my hairstyle was about three decades ago. It's just, I think I've probably changed my hairstyle in my entire life six times. It just didn't do it. But when you change it, you know, before I, I did it this way, I had a part in my hair. I had a part one way, and when I started just to forget the part, just comb it straight on back, well, the hair was not used to this. It was used to going the other way. And so, you know, when you change your hair pattern, the hair still is going the other way. And so you, you have to change it. After, after a while, it, it'll work. Now, if I try to go back to the old way of doing it, my hair doesn't know that way anymore. And so it knows this way, and it, uh, it, it works out just, just fine. I don't need a new hair, hairstyle all the time. I get into one that just, as long as it works, and I don't have to mind it all that much, we're good. And that's what we like. So, establish patterns. Whatever patterns you want in the future, establish them now. If you are a tither with $100 a week, you'll be a tither with $1,000 a week if you establish the pattern. If you, are, uh, if you keep up with things in your car with the old one, you'll keep up with things with the new one. It's just easier to, to do it that way. Well, faithfulness follows my vision of how spectacular and necessary my ministry is. Most people who are not faithful with the thing that God has them doing do not see it as important, do not see it as necessary, do not see it as spectacular. They say that if I was to disappear, if I was not to show up, it wouldn't matter. And that's just not the case. If it doesn't matter, it's because you don't see it as mattering. You can, you can make whatever ministry you do matter, no matter what it is. You can make whatever it is matter. We, uh, we had a comic in the uh, uh, bulletin a, a few weeks ago about the pastor who went over to the deacon and this, it suddenly realized that uh, he asked the question, who locks up around here? And they came to the realization that no one locks up around here. <laughs> That's kind of a surprise. We had that in the church I was in. We had, uh, uh, we had a lot of doors in there and it was the job of the deacons. They would alternate, alternate. One month, one deacon would take it. Another month, another deacon would take it. And they would alternate and they would go around and they would check the doors. Well, some deacons, once some deacons were better at it than other deacons were. And some were more faithful with it than others. And some of the teenagers in the, in the crew, if they wanted to get back into church, they knew certain doors that they could leave a certain way because no one would check it. Then they could get back on in. I don't know what they would want to get back on in for, but they would, they would do that. And so um, it wasn't necessarily working the way, the way it was. Well, is locking the doors of the church a necessary thing? Is it spectacular? Does anybody really notice it? Well, they do if, there's a, if it's not done. And so, uh, you know, the, we were noticing that it just wasn't getting done all the time. There were doors that were being left open. And things just weren't being done. So I just, uh, I was the assistant pastor at the time. So I just said, look, guys, instead of rotating this out, I'm going to do it. I'm usually the last person to leave church anyway. I'll just go around and I'll check it out. And I knew the tricks that the kids used to, 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 uh, to take care of that because I was youth leader for a while. So I knew some of their tricks. And so we would, I would go around and we made sure, and uh, we made sure that that church was locked up. And it, and it was. Whatever you do will be as spectacular as you make it. It'll be as necessary as you see it. All these folks were supposed to do was take care of the food distribution, the distribution of the stuff. That was it. I mean, how, how important could this be? But we see out of this that a couple of ministries got launched out of this. Stephen's ministry, Philip's ministry got launched out of this. And they went on into some do some great things. And the rest of this chapter, we're going to see some great things that Stephen did, just did by himself. But it depends on how much, how faithful you are. 
So you can imagine, you know, with the, with the food carts going around. And before it was going around, well, it may or may not stop here. We may or may not get anything. But then all of a sudden, Stephen took it over. Philip took it over. And they have a particular route that they're doing. And, oh, well, Philip's here. When, when Philip is doing this route, oh, boy, I'll tell you what, the food on that cart, it's hot, it's ready, it's good, because they took it seriously. Stephen, the same way. They took it seriously. They made it. They, they, they looked forward to it. When they came on in, they didn't just drop the food off. They, what can we pray for for you? They're, they're finding ways to make this thing important. And they did that. Whatever it is that we do, we can find ways to make it important. We can find ways to make it successful. But we've got to, first off, make sure we are not distracted by other things and put our full attention to it. And if we do that and we make it spectacular, it can be something good. We always have to guard against other things coming in. What is a distraction for the disciples was a ministry for Stephen. If they took up the distraction, it was pulling away from what they were supposed to do. And it also would have stopped Stephen and Philip and others from being developed. So they saw that we need to get rid of this because what it's going to do is pull us back. And that's uh, that's the thing that they, they need to do. When we have uh, church in here on Sunday, you all know, I've, 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 I've let people know, other people take care of things, that there, there are folks that handle the stuff that goes on on Sunday morning. I don't. People aren't going to bother you. try and bother me with anything that's going on, you know, if a, if a, a sink is, is, is leaking, if a door is, is broken, or I, I don't care. <laughs> you can come tell me about it all you want to. I really don't care about it. Right After church, it might be a different thing. I'll talk about it then. But we have other people that are, that are around to help out with those things, and they'll take care of it, and they'll do a good job with it, and it's, it's, a, it's something to help them. It was something to be a distraction to me. These are things we need to do in all areas of ministry. And after a while, we need to, to learn that one of the things that we took on for ministry is now a distraction, and we need to piss it off to somebody else. And we have to be aware of that. There are times that that needs to go on. Faith, uh, I heard this from Keith Moore this morning. I was listening to some things. He wasn't on this, uh, this topic. He was on something else. But he made this mention of something. I wrote it down to put it in the bulletin. But I thought, you know what? This fits in right here. He said, faithful is not doing something the best you can, but doing something the way you were instructed. <laughs> That's faithfulness. Sometimes we think faithfulness is doing it the best we can, but it's not. Faithfulness is doing it exactly the way that you were told. If God says to do it this way and we say, well, the best I can do it is this way, that's not right. We need to do it exactly the way that we're told and then we are faithful. Then we're faithful. That was a good one. He also threw this out. Unfaithful equals unqualified. I thought that was good. (laughs) Unfaithful equals unqualified. If you're unfaithful, you're unqualified. What makes you qualified? Being faithful. What's being faithful? Doing it the way you were instructed. How did God say to do it? If you're, if you're serving in a ministry and someone's over that ministry, how did they say to do it? That's what being faithful is. So uh, the people chose seven. They got seven people in there. And we already talked, talked about Stephen. He went on to, to great things. Philip went on to great things. Uh, not all of them did. One of them eventually got off into apostasy and had, so had the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. He, that came out of there. But God still gave him. He was faithful, and so God gave him an opportunity to go even higher, and he didn't take that very well. He went in the wrong direction. But he did start off good. 
How many of you have ever picked a person and after you got done picking them a year or two into it, you said, that's the wrong person? Yep. Well, they probably they could have been the right person at the time. And they could have become the right, the wrong person because they didn't be, they weren't faithful. They decided to do it the best that they could or just picked another way for whatever reason. Verse eight, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Well, he's out there, probably not just when he's doing the food ministry, but probably other times as well. And he's full of faith and power. How do you know that a person is full of faith and power? They got some miracles going. They got some, they're laying hands on people. They're getting healed. (laughs) Stuff's happening. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now, if you're the disciples, you could say, no, hold on a minute. The signs and wonders are supposed to come from us. You know, you need to stop that. You're just a deacon. (laughs) They didn't do that. This is good. Keep on going. They they want uh, Stephen and others to develop this way. Full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And you would think that would make everybody happy. Good things happening, people being ministered to. Everybody should be happy, right? Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of freed men. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> synagogue of freed men. Mm. That just sounds like a good place. They disputed with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Why would they want to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke when Stephen is shown with signs and wonders that this is of God? And what he's speaking is of God. Why would they want to resist it? It came against something that they didn't like. It came against something that, uh, you know, that I guess took power away from them or authority away from them or something that they were teaching. Something came along that it didn't help that they weren't weren't liking this. And so they came against them. But they couldn't resist it. They would question some of the things and and Stephen smashed them. Not not in a belligerent way. He just said, oh, just like Jesus did. Oh, you misunderstand the scriptures. The scriptures are saying this. Oh, you misunderstand God. God is this way. And he just would explain it to them from the word of God and they couldn't contradict it. They couldn't come against it. They wanted to, but they couldn't come up with anything. Then they secretly, there's that word. Now, as soon as you see that word secretly, is this the wisdom of God? No, because the wisdom of God calls out from the streets, right? This is foolishness. This is the foolishness of men. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. This is always the tactic of the enemy. If they cannot destroy you in the arena of ideas. They come against your character. They come against, they try and throw mud at you. They try and get people to say things about you. Um, Sarah Palin, remember her when she was in the, in the thing? She scared people on the other side. And so they, they came after her with everything. There are still people to this day who attribute things to Sarah Palin that she said that she did not say. But the media so scourged her because they were afraid of her. In fact, one of the things they say, I may have ever heard that she qualified herself on foreign policy because she could see Russia from her. Yeah, that came from Saturday Night Live. Was, was not even her quote. She never said anything about it at all. But there's people all around who say, oh, she said that. I know she said that. Because she scared her. She scared people. 
because she was so eloquent in the conservative ways, in the ways of, of conservative government. She was the most popular governor in the country when she was picked to be vice president. The most popular, from a, a state like Alaska, people knew about her all over the country. And she was the most popular governor all over the country. And to this day, people still will accuse her of being an idiot because of what the news media did. They got their education from the news media on her, not listening to her. But she's still very popular. I like her. And they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. So they got lies to be spoken against them that people would take his truth because they don't check them out. And then they stirred up people against them because where does the power come from? It comes from the people. Constitution, we the people. This is where the power comes from. The people are the ones who give the power. This is why they're having so much trouble in Washington with the, the things that they're, they're fighting against because the people are finding out that uh, uh, things like Obamacare are not so good. It's not quite as affordable as people had uh, said that it would be. It's becoming extremely unaffordable. And outside of Washington, most people are pretty much against it. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Now, Jesus never said that, but they attributed to him too. He said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they assumed he meant the temple that they were going into. He's talking about the temple of his body. They did destroy it. And in three days, he raised it up. <laughs> That's the one they're talking about. Yep. But see, they took that and they twisted it to mean something that he didn't say. It means something that he didn't intend and said that's what he intended. Even when they would come on out and say, that's, that, what I'm talking about is my body. No, no, no. We know what you're talking about. This is how they come. This is, this is how this group comes. This is a characteristic of Satan. This is a characteristic of Satan's kingdom. Whenever you see this, you don't have to wonder where it's coming from. It's not coming from God. You are either of your father, God, or you're of your father, Satan. That's it. Because we're born in this world of the Father, Satan. We're born again into our Father, God. So Jesus even taught us, you're either of your Father, God, or you're of the Father, Satan. You're one or the other. You're either born again or you're not. You're either a believer or you're lost in sin. That's all. There's only two choices. There's only two places to go here. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Now, there was never anything in there about changing the customs. They just, of course, they just add stuff. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Isn't that amazing? Stephen is sitting there, other throwing all these accusations against him. He's just beaming. He's just got the Moses glow all about him. They just look at him and they see the face of an angel. And, uh, and that's got, for, for the people in the wrong place, that just makes them matter. Mm-hmm. Oh, they get mad at that. Because they can't throw them. They can't get them off the, off the game. They can't get them off in a, in, a, in a wrong direction. The powers of Satan are always, if we can't destroy your ideas, if we can't destroy your wisdom, to destroy your, the, the way people view you. 
and they just start to begin to sling mud and to, to throw it. That is always the tactic of the devil. Anyone, anyone who follows it is of their father, the devil. I don't care if they're in church. These folks are in church. Remember where they went to church? The synagogue of the freedmen. This is where they go to church. This is where their leaders in the church. The synagogue of the freedmen. And they are of their father, this, the devil, Satan. This is who they mimic. This is who they're going after. When they see the wisdom of God, they don't recognize it. They fight against it. We saw that too before in the, with Peter and John, maybe before the council. They fought against the things that Peter and John were doing. People will come against the kingdom of God. Just as with Daniel, remember they said with him, said about him, we can find nothing wrong with this guy. And unless we can find something against him, the way he worships God, we've lost this. We can't do anything about it. And so they came up with the law, shall not make a prayer request to anyone except the king, no God, nothing. nothing. And uh, that didn't uh, help them out too much. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Stephen started out way before he was handing out food, handing out, working with the distribution. He started out being faithful. Being faithful. Whatever they gave him, he was faithful in it. The wisdom of God was growing in him because they said select men that are full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, people who have a pattern people who've, who've shown themselves to be faithful. And Stephen had done that in all the things that he had done. What is it that you are involved with in, in work, in home, in church? What is it that you can show that you are faithful in? What is it that you can show that you were able to do? In those things that you do, be faithful. And being faithful is not doing it to the best that you can. It is doing it as instructed. There we go, yeah. As instructed. Whether you agree with it, whether you don't, it doesn't make any difference. It's as you're instructed. That's being faithful. And that's what we need to do. Establish that kind of a pattern. Don't change things. There was a situation that we were in in church when I was, uh, when I was at the assistant pastor of, and we had a secretary who'd been there for many years. I think it was something like 20. She'd been there a long time. And she was not doing things the way they were supposed to be done. She was doing things the way she wanted. She would take decisions that were made by the board and alter them and do them her way. And no one would believe this because this woman had been there for so long. Surely not this person. They're, they're faithful and so forth and they said all these different things. And so um, myself and the son of the pastor, we, we recognized that we saw it as plainly as could be. And we said, well, the only thing we can do is we know that her pattern is if we go before the board and we have this thing done and the board knows how it's supposed to be executed, if we give it to her, she'll change it. And then the board can see. And so we did that. We had the board make a decision. We passed it on to her and she altered it. She altered the decision, did it her way. And the board saw it. And we were able to tell the board, this is not the first time. This is a pattern. This is many times. And uh, we were able to remove her from that position. And put someone else in there who would be faithful and would do it. Because if I told you the things she was changing, it would, it would shock you. The things that she was doing. The way that she dealt with people. The way that uh, uh, the, the, just the, the network she had set up. It was, uh, 
It was something else. Well, you put in your outline this. Develop a pattern of being told once and doing it repeatedly instead of being told repeatedly and doing little. I'll give you that again. Develop a pattern of being told once and doing it repeatedly instead of being told repeatedly and doing little. If you develop that pattern, you'll be a faithful person. Be told one time. When you're told one time, you keep doing the thing. If God says to you, Steve, I want you to do this, you keep doing that until God, until God changes his mind or God tells you to do something else. You keep doing it. You keep doing repeatedly what he was done. Brother Keith, would uh, in this thing I was listening to, this, uh, he told the story again where when he went to Ramah, the words that God spoke to him was, help Brother Hagin. That was it. Help Brother Hagin. Three words. And that carried him through uh, over two decades. <laughs> that was it. And any time he was uh, considering something, he'd always come back to, what did God say? Help Brother Hagin. And he would, uh, he would go back and he would, he would do that. And that's what he did. Well, is this helping Brother Hagin? Yes, it is. Okay, then I guess we're doing it. And he would just always bring things back into that. God told it to him one time. God didn't keep telling him. God didn't keep waking him up every morning and say, help Brother Hagin. He didn't tell him once a year, help Brother Hagin. Told him one time. Help Brother Hagin. A second time did come along when he was in his own ministry and he was out doing some of his other things and uh, had left uh, Ramah. Uh, God reminded him, what did I tell you to do? You told me to help Brother Hagin. Are you? No, sir. <laughs> and so he called up Brother Hagin. He says, look, if you need anything, you just give me a call. And so um, not long after that, Brother Hagin gave him a call. He said, Brother Keith, can you come down to this meeting and help me out? Sure enough, he got into his airplane, paid for the fuel, went on down, helped out in the meeting, and came home. And because that's what the, the directive was. Help, Brother We need to get to, the, to where when God says, when people say to us one time to do something, that we keep doing it. If you get into the military and the commanding officer says, guard this post, when are you supposed to stop? <laughs> yeah, pretty much never. If, if they never come to relieve you, then you are supposed to stay there. You are not, because you don't have an eight-hour shift in the military. You're on until, until they tell you. Develop that pattern. If God tells you something once, you write it down, you put it in front of you, you focus on it, this is what I am to do. And you keep doing it repeatedly over and over and over and over until God tells you something different. Put also in your outline, develop the vision of grandness for whatever your ministry or function is and don't depend on others to do this for you. Make it grand yourself. Whatever it is that you do, if you view it as grand, if you view it as, you view it as awesome, it will become awesome. If you view it as nothing, it will become nothing. It's up to you. How do you view what it is? How can you, how, how, do, how do you view that? You've got to make it grand. You've got to make it big. Whatever it is that you do on your job, you've got to make it big. When I sold Kelchner's horseradish, Kelchner's horseradish was the horseradish to have. I didn't care what else was out there. That was the horseradish to have. When I walked into a place and was selling them Kelchner's horseradish, this was, this was the bomb. This was the best stuff in the world. And that was my attitude. That was always my attitude about it. And whenever I walked into a place, I was never down about Kelsner's horseradish. It didn't matter if they didn't give me a raise when I thought I should. It didn't matter if they didn't pay me as much as I thought. 
None of that mattered. When I walked into a business and I presented Keltzner's horseradish and was selling it, this was the best horseradish on the market. This is the best stuff. You cannot find anything better. And uh, I tell them a lot of times, look, just try it out for a couple of weeks. See what you think. Try out the service. See what you think. And we won people over. Because you got to come in. you got to believe that this thing is grand. you got to believe that it's big. Up until the time I took that job, I had never eaten horseradish. I didn't know that I liked horseradish. I was pretty sure I didn't like horseradish. I had cocktail sauce. Didn't really know too much about cocktail sauce. Tartar sauce, well, you know, I probably had some in somewhere. Uh, seafood, was not a big seafood eater. None of these things were, were important to me. But all of a sudden, it became everything. And it became big in my mind. And that's what it had to be. When I talk to people about bunk beds now, bunk beds, they call me up, they ask me about bunk beds. When they get done, they say, wow, you are really excited about bunk beds. We, we can make them as grand, as big as we want. Develop the vision of grandness for whatever your ministry or function is. Don't depend on others to do it for you because no one else will. It is up to you to make it grand. It's up to you to make it big. Whatever it is you do in ministry, whatever it is that you do for God, you can make yourself indispensable. And not just to people, but to God. And that's the goal. That's what we need to do. As you are doing that, as you are making that grand, you're going to find that there are some things that are going to pull your attention from what is going to make that thing grand. And you've got to find some other people to come along and help you take care of some of those distractions. Because what is a distraction to you is a ministry for someone else. Make sure you don't hang on to the distractions because they weigh you down, whereas they could be lifting up someone else. Real important thing that we learn that. The disciples had learned this early on. Now, we can't do that. We can't take that on. That's going to weigh us down. But for someone else, it would really help them out. It would really do a, a, a great thing. Understand what that, what that is. Because God wants you to bring along people, help them out, raise them up, give them things to do. Make it grand. We're going to see in the uh, next week to come that Stephen is going to uh, answer some of these things. He's uh, going to speak to them. And it's not going to end well, but it's not because Peter, or Stephen didn't do a good job. It's just because uh, some people are bent on destruction. Father, we thank you for the word that you give us. And we can take the wisdom that the disciples had. That when we encounter a problem, as people are being multiplied, all we need to do is divide them up amongst the people we have. They realize that in the group of people they have, there's an answer to the problem. And they found seven men who were the answer. They took care of that problem and they grew into ministries themselves. And the word of God was spread even more. Help us, Father, in the ministries that we have, the ministries that we serve in, that we understand there are people in our midst who can grow by doing some of the things that are a distraction to us. Help us to see that. Help us to empower them and to send them off. In those groups of people, when we send them off, we're going to find some Stevens and some Phillips who soar to great heights. And we're going to find some Nicholases who, well, they just don't do quite as good. Mm-hmm. But Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. For you entrusted ministries to many people. Some soared and some sank. But you continue to go on and to trust ministries to, the, to others. We thank you for the example that you lay for us. We want to follow that same pattern. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.